0: Once again, Connection Point Church, welcome. So good to be in the house of the Lord, whether you're joining us uh, online, streaming in, or if you're here in person, we want to just say thank you for being with us today. It's always good when the saints of God can gather together, isn't it? Amen. Well, last week we began a a new series uh, titled Valleys and Peaks. If you remember, we looked at um, Elijah's valley experience that followed a literal mountaintop Moment, And as we examined his experience, we saw that even in moments of loneliness and even in moments of isolation, God never abandoned him. God was always faithful in his provision for Elijah, and God is always faithful in his provision for us. Now, for Elijah, it may not have always come the way that he may have expected it to come, but it came just the same. I can tell you this, I've never had a raven bring food to me every day, or any day for that matter. In fact, not only has birds never brought me food, I think we feed all the birds in, in Hendersonville. In, in fact, this morning, on my timeline on Facebook, there was a post from three years ago. It was a shopping cart at Tractor Supply full of bird supplies. It, I guess it had snowed that day, and we were out um, trying to take care of the birds, Listen, God said he even cares for the birds. Sometimes he uses us, doesn't he? <laughs> so just because God's provision for me doesn't um, come in that way, it comes just the same. It may not come in the way that I expect it, but one thing is for sure: certain, he is faithful. He is faithful in his provision and for always being there, for never leaving us. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to continue on and we're going to look at King David and we're going to look at his experience through Psalm 23. John 3.16 is probably the most known passage of scripture, but this one probably is right there after it. I looked back this last week as I was preparing for today over my, for my message today, I looked back over my previous messages, and and they're all stored digitally, so I'm able to search through them. And I went back and looked, and I'm like, okay, when's the last time I preached on Psalm 23? I never have preached on Psalm 23. Now, I've included it in messages, but I was like, I've never preached, like, a message on Psalm 23. I couldn't believe it. It's it's like the, the, probably the second most known verse, and I never even preached a message on it. Most of you would probably say, uh, yeah, my wife's over there like this. I ought to be ashamed. Wow. Such great support right here. Most of y'all probably would say that you're able to quote that verse, wouldn't you? Show of hands, who would say they could quote that verse? I'm not going to call you up here. Go ahead. It's okay. You can raise your hand if you know it. Many of us probably grew up learning that maybe in Sunday school or, or, or whatever. Listen, I learned that in kids' church growing up. My motivation for learning that was I wanted to be the one in kids' church that got the prize for knowing his memory verse. I was motivated by competition. I know some of you are a little more spiritual than me. You as a child were like, I want to learn Psalm 23 because I want to, to hide the Word of God down in my heart that I may not sin against God. Some of you are just a little more spiritual than I was as a child. I wanted two things. I wanted to be in first place, and I wanted the candy. That's why I learned the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> I was motivated by competition. You may have been motivated because you're just spiritually motivated. My wife, as a kid, she learned that per- particular passage out of fear. Everybody learns for a different reason, right? Right? In the late fall of 1983, riots broke out across this land. The riots were a little different than we experienced this past year. They weren't motivated by politics or or racial tensions. They were a result of a new toy that hit the market. 1983, we saw the Cabbage Patch Kid. In 1983, every young girl wanted a Cabbage Patch Kid, and your pastor's wife was no different. Ten-year-old Rachel wanted one of those Cabbage Patch Kids. And I got a video I want to show you. I want you to look close at this video and see if you can recognize anyone trying to get a Cabbage Patch Kid for their daughter. Welcome to another holiday shopping season. When the doors opened at this Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania store, the pushing and shoving began. One woman was knocked to the floor and suffered a broken leg. <coughs> this scene has been repeated in hundreds of stores across the country that advertised the Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, All right, so th- that, that video was from Pennsylvania, so, so maybe there wasn't a certain person in there that you may recognize, but that being said, She may have shown up in a similar video somewhere because that year both Rachel and her sister Angie both got their Cabbage Patch kids for Christmas. There was hysteria that was across this land. It was like the the first big toy that, that created that whole, you know, Black Friday type of craziness out there. There was other hysteria and folklore surrounding these dolls, though. You may or may not be familiar with this, but Rachel claims she saw a news story as a kid about claiming that these Cabbage Patch dolls would come to life and strangle their owners. (laughs) Not that I have any reason to doubt her, but just so you know, I tried to find this news story on the Internet and could not find it. Granted, every news story from the 1980s aren't readily accessible. So there very well may have been some news stories that that said this. I did find, however, some things online that said such a story was reported in the National Enquirer. (laughs) And if you remember from the Men in Black movie... Real news is found in the National Enquirer. Now, whether Rachel was in line at the Kroger and saw that National Enquirer or if she actually saw a local newscast, the thing that stood out in that story to her was this. One of the people claimed their Cabbage Patch doll came to life and they begin to say the 23rd Psalm. And as they said, the 23rd Psalm, it saved their life. So she learned the 23rd Psalm. She took the story to heart. She was not about to be killed by her Cabbage Patch Kid. Now to be clear, I don't for a second believe any Cabbage Patch Kid ever came to life and killed anybody. (laughs) <laughs> I did, however, also read that 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 folklore or that story may have been the basis for those Chucky movies that came out. Rachel learned this passage so that she would be protected against her doll. Her no- doll never became possessed by a demon that I'm aware of, <laughs> nor did any other Cabbage Patch Kid that I'm aware of. But just because dolls aren't possessed, Don't dismiss the spirit world. There's a world that we often forget about. Paul says our our battles are are not of flesh and blood. Elisha, when he he saw that he and his servant were surrounded, he prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see those that, that are with us, are greater than those who surround us. See, just because you don't always see the spirit world doesn't mean it's not there. So while Rachel's doll never came to life to attack her, she does recount a time not too long after learning this passage of Scripture that her and her sister were in their, their bedroom for the night, and her sister was asleep, and, and she lay in her own bed. And as she lay there in her bed, as she opened her eyes, she could feel and she could sense and she could see this, this shadow spirit come up out of the floor and go and begin to hover over her sister. Well, in that moment, she closes her eyes and she begins to, to speak this passage that she had learned to save her from her doll. But here in this moment, there was this real presence or darkness. And she began to speak the word of God. And she could sense the, the presence lift and, and go away. And she opened her eyes and, and didn't see anything anymore. You can ask her more about it later. But from, from her story, what I want you to understand is this. There is power in the Word of God. When you know it and you begin to declare it, darkness flees. The, the Word says, in, in Luke, we're told there that the 70... Uh, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There's there's some power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the word of God. She began to declare the word of God, and the presence fled. Whatever your reason may be for, for learning this passage of Scripture, Maybe it was for competition. Maybe it was because you're holier than the rest of us. Maybe it was because of fear. Whatever it may be, you need to get the Word of God down in you. And see, when you you know this passage, you'll know that it brings comfort in times of distress. That this this passage of Scripture, this passage... Psalm 23, it brings comfort during tough times. I believe as we walk through this passage today and we look at it a little closer, I believe it's going to bring you even more comfort in the days ahead. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open, if you would, to Psalm 23. And as you're turning to Psalm 23, let me ask you, how many of you would agree that life is not always an easy journey? Life doesn't always happen the way that you expect it to. The, the truth is the path that we walk is full of ups and downs. It's full of hills. It's full of valleys. It's full of peaks. There are moments of joy followed by times of pain. Moments of joy followed by moments of fear and even anger. I don't know how people who do not know Jesus who do not know the Word of God, I don't know how they make it through life. This passage of Scripture has brought so much comfort to so many people. There's some debate as to when David actually wrote this passage. There are some who would say they believe he wrote it early in his life while he was a shepherd. But most commentators, however, uh, believe that David wrote this later in life. And I kind of fall into this camp. And as we walk through it, I think you may as well. See, because I believe this passage reveals a life that has seen God faithfully walk with him through some of the deepest valleys. While I believe it was written during the, towards the end of his life, I also believe that he looks back at his early life at that time when he was a shepherd boy. He relies on those experiences as a shepherd in describing the Lord as his shepherd. Let's look at this passage together. Beginning in verse number one, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The very first five verses here, or the not five verses, the fi- first five words of this passage. He says, Let me go back here. The Lord is my shepherd. I just went back to look at that like I don't know that. (laughs) Uh, In the first five words, David establishes this image between a shepherd and his sheep. Now, for the people of Israel, it, it wouldn't have needed a lot of explaining. They understood what a shepherd did, and they understood the relationship there. It needs a little more explaining for us in 2021. It requires us to dig in a little bit to understand this. But see, for the people that that would have been reading this at the time, they knew the role of the shepherd. They knew the role of the shepherd was to protect. The role of the shepherd was to provide for the flock. They understood that the shepherd was there to rescue the sheep when the sheep were in trouble, to discipline them when they wandered off. They fully understood it. But for us to understand this passage, we kind of got to know that as well as we need to understand a little bit about sheep. You may not realize this, but sheep are not known to be the brightest of creatures. In in fact, they're known to be a little dumb. They're known also to be quite stubborn. Sheep can't easily take care of themselves to defend themselves. Sheep tend to, to wander with no real sense of direction. Sheep are always looking for that next spot of green grass. Sheep are nervous. They're easily frightened. Even though sheep are nervous creatures, guess what? They still don't do a good job of recognizing danger. When we describe sheep, doesn't it sound an awful lot like people? I, listen, don't go out of here and say, Pastor Todd said, we're dumb. We don't always make the right choices, though, do we? Sometimes people do dumb things, don't they? Without a shepherd, sheep wouldn't make it on their own. Can I tell you? Neither would we. We not only need a shepherd, we need a good one. We don't need just a hireling, someone who's just paid something to kind of walk with us. We need a good shepherd, which is exactly what Jesus calls himself in John 10. A good shepherd knows his sheep because he's among his sheep, because he walks with his sheep, because he cares for his sheep, because he provides for his sheep, because he protects his sheep, because he even lives with his sheep. Look at verse 1 again. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is referred to a shepherd, to to being a shepherd or compared to a shepherd throughout Scripture. But there's a word here in Psalm 23.1. There's a word in this passage that makes this Scripture so special. It's it's a word that makes this passage very personal, which is why it speaks to us so clearly in, in moments of need. And that's that word, my. Oh, you'll see, you'll see, the Lord described as a shepherd. And you can look, and you can look in Psalm 28, Psalm 80, Psalm 95, Psalm 100, and you'll see the Lord described as a shepherd. But here in this passage, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And in doing so, he's saying two things. The first thing he's saying is, I'm like a sheep. In other words, he's saying, I don't always make the best decisions. He's saying. I, I tend to be a little stubborn sometimes. He's saying, I, I can be a little excitable. Sometimes I'll fall into temptation. He's saying, I, I need to be guided, and sometimes I need correction. See, David admitted he was like a sheep here, and if we are full, going to fully benefit from the richness of this passage, we need to do the same. We must admit that we are like sheep in need of a shepherd. David not only says that he is a sheep, but he also says the Lord is his shepherd. David wasn't a sheep being cared for, as I said, by some hireling. He was a sheep with a true and faithful shepherd, one that would lay down his very life for him. See, people can relate to this passage because you don't have to insert your name here. You know, we'll, we'll do that through Scripture, right? We'll find a Scripture or something, and we'll, we'll make it more personal. We'll put our name in there. Well, right here, it's, when we read this, it becomes real to us because, because it says it right there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This entire passage is filled with personal pronouns. Throughout it, we'll see words like me, my, and I. This passage isn't about an entire flock that belongs to the shepherd, but it's about one. One individual sheep and how the shepherd looks after and cares for each and every one individually. Jesus said that a good shepherd would leave the 99 who are safe and sound, who are gathered together to go after the one that was lost. And David said, because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? He lays it out right here in the next couple of verses. It says in verse number two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This passage, verse number two, it's, it's about the shepherd providing. He's meeting even the most basic needs of food and water. No, you need to understand that Israel wasn't known for its abundance of fresh meadows. Yet it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. So the the shepherd would lead the sheep to to where the food was good, where the food was plentiful. He would lead them to still water. Remember I said sheep were nervous creatures. They they wouldn't drink from running water. So the, the shepherd would take them to the calm water. And if the calm water wasn't available, he would take rocks and he would build up a dam so that it would create this stillness so that the sheep would be able to go and they'd be able to drink and get their fill without fear. David says, he makes me lie down. Again, you have to know about sheep to kind of really get this. Sheep, when they're hungry and thirsty, they won't lie down. Even though they may need rest, even though they may be tired, they'll continue going around, grazing, looking for some food. They'll continue to stand and graze until they get their full. But when they've been satisfied, when they've had plenty to eat, they'll lie down and rest. See, the shepherd knows the need for both the sheep to be fed and the sheep to rest. And when the sheep have been fed, They can rest fully content. But know this, even when the sheep lie down, even while they are sleeping, they're nervous creatures. When they hear a noise or a sound, they immediately will spring to their feet in fear. And when this would happen, the shepherd, he would go to the sheep. He'd reassure the sheep he let the sheep know that he's there. Everything's okay. And then he would gently lay the sheep back down, put the the sheep down so that it could rest. See, many people today, they've they've got their minds, they're flooded with problems. They've got heavy cares, heavy burdens upon them. People can't rest because of these things, because of fear. The mind is going 24-7 all the time. But the good shepherd wants you to place your trust in him. The good shepherd wants you to know that he is with you, that he takes care of you, that he tends to all of your needs, and that in him you can find rest. Oh, how much we are like sheep, always going, always striving, always looking for the next green pasture, restless, unsure. Oh, how we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd that will say, lie down and rest. It's going to be okay. See, we never find true rest as we wander aimlessly through the world. But when our trust is in him, in the good shepherd, when we know he is our provider, when we know he is our protector, we can lie down and rest in him. Verses 3 and 4 say this. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Church, he not only meets our physical needs, but he also meets our spiritual needs as well. That word there we translate as restore means to turn back. It's a word that we'll often... Translate refresh, but right here it really means to, to turn back. It's a, it's a word used throughout the Old Testament in reference to the people of Israel re- repenting and returning to the Lord once again. Remember I said sheep tend to wander off. They don't always make the best choices. It didn't take much for a sheep to get distracted. They will often wander from the flock. See, and if the shepherd, when he's, when he's moving the, the sheep from one place to another, if he would get behind them and drive them, think about like the, the cowboys and the cattle, how they'll, how they'll drive cattle. If, if a shepherd would do that same thing with sheep, they would have sheep running in all kinds of different directions. So the shepherd will get out in front of the sheep, and he'll lead them as a guide, guiding them in the way that they should go. Along the correct path. Now I didn't always say, I didn't say the easiest path. He would take them on the correct path, the best path. But because it wasn't always the easiest path, sheep would sometimes wander off. They would get off of the right path. Sheep wouldn't wouldn't always follow the way that they should, and the shepherd would have to go and 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 get them, and and bring them back to the flock. Now, some sheep would tend to wander a little more than others. And the shepherd would have to correct them. Sometimes the shepherd would actually have to break a leg of a sheep, or put a splint on the sheep, so that it wouldn't wander off. And what would happen is, when they would get to a real tough spot, even though that sheep may have a splint, when they would get to a place where the the times were really difficult or the, the hill was too much, that shepherd would have to pick up that sheep and carry it through that, that tough spot. And, and in doing so, that sheep would really get to know that shepherd and it would know that it could depend on the shepherd during the tough times. And, and, it, and it wouldn't tend to wander off so much. That's why David says, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. The crook of the staff was used to pull the sheep back, but the rod was used for correction. See, he could say, the Lord is my shepherd, because he knew that the Lord cared for him. It says, for his name's sake. What does that mean? What does it mean for his name's sake? What, What is in the Lord's name? His very character is in his name. It's who he is. He has a deep love, as we sang about this morning, a deep love for each and every one of us that goes, that, that, that takes him to go after each of us. He chases us down. The good shepherd loves us, and because of that, he'll rec- correct us when we need it. We don't enjoy correction, though, do we? But we need it. He disciplines us because it makes us dependent upon him. It it, it counsels us and teaches us. He disciplines us because it keeps us from hurting ourselves and others around us. He corrects us because it stirs us to a place of repentance. It keeps us on the right path. In verse 4, David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley of death. When we we read that word valley, oftentimes we read it and we think of those beautiful paintings that people will have hanging up with a mountain and the the lushness below and and the the green grass and all of that. But that's not the, the picture here in in this passage that's not the the picture in the old testament when it talks about the valley when when it when it talks about valley it's not talking about a peaceful and a calm place a valley was an area that would often have these these sheer cliffs on each side of it it would be a very narrow place a dark place filled with danger it's a place that wild animals would lie in wait It's a place where thieves and robbers would wait for people to pass through. It's a picture of a very dangerous place for sheep and for people. Valleys represent some of the darkest times of life. That's That's what David's referring to here when he says the valley of the shadow of death. It speaks so clearly to us of the worst circumstances in life. David in his life had many valley moments. He had some incredible mountaintop experiences. Remember, as a shepherd boy, he's anointed as the next king of Israel. He then goes and he defeats this giant, Goliath. But he had some valley moments right after that. He spends 10 years on the run from Saul who's trying to kill him. Sounds a little bit like last week in Elijah, doesn't it? David, throughout his life, had some incredible times in the valley. And David here says, even though, even though things may not always go my way, even though it may not go the way I planned, even though they said I was going to be king, even though Saul may be chasing me down, even though death may be around every corner. I will fear no evil. Why? There's a shift in this passage, and you got to see it. Up through verse 3, let me put verse 4 back up there again. Up through verse 3, he's, he's talking about the Lord, and he says, He leads me. He does this. He is this. He is, he, he is my shepherd. He leads me in the path of righteousness. He restores my soul for his name's sake. But there's a shift In verse 4, David goes from the word he, when referencing the Lord, to the word you. David could say, I can walk through the worst circumstances in life. I can walk through the very shadow, the very valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because it says I'm not alone. He says, because you are with me. He goes from talking about God and how he is a shepherd to speaking with God. He's saying, you are with me. When, when walking through life's most challenging seasons, I don't have to fear because the Lord is with me. and That, that, that means I, I don't have to worry about my provision. I don't have to wonder if, if I'll be overtaken by some threat. My my shepherd is there to protect me, saying, you are with me, God. He's there to keep me on the right path. I don't have to worry about the future. I don't have to worry about what tomorrow is going to bring, what's around the corner, because the shepherd is leading the way. He's guiding me the way that I should go. The shepherd already knows what's ahead. Look at verse number five. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Here the image changes slightly. It goes really from talking about a sheep more to talking about a person here. I I believe this, this verse right here is really our big clue as to this was written later on in David's life. David had seen many valleys up to this moment. He he had seen times of being chased by Saul for a decade, to to having his very own son Absalom want to kill him. He's seen some, some valley moments. And David is saying, you God, you have been with me every step of the way. Even when my enemies were all around me, even when, even when the, the enemy was camped just outside of my cave, I don't have to worry. Because even in the very presence of my enemies, you prepared a meal for me. You set the table for me. I was able to eat and receive nourishment. My enemies may have thought they had won. My enemies may have thought that they had surrounded me, but my great shepherd was protecting me. The great shepherd was caring for me. The great shepherd was providing for me every step of the way. And you anoint my head with oil. For sheep, this was done to bring healing. They would use oil to to heal wounds. They would would put oil on the sheep to, to fend off insects that would pester at them. And the fragrance of the oil, as the sheep would actually go through tall grass, would actually repel snakes. So they would anoint the sheep with oil. and, And Samuel, if you'll remember, anointed David back when he was a shepherd boy, signaling him as the next king. And throughout Scripture, oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And his spirit works much the same as oil did for the sheep. His spirit brings comfort. His spirit brings healing. And David says, my cup runs over. See, with the Lord as our shepherd, we can know he provides all that we need. With the Lord as our shepherd, we, we can trust in the fact that, that we have victory in him. See, with the Lord as our shepherd, we can know that the Lord strengthens us, that the Lord anoints us, that the Lord empowers us. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we know that our cup, too, runs over. We can know that even though we face trials, even though we will face struggles. Cade, go ahead, come. we can rest assured that victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David can look back over his life and say, Surely, goodness and mercy has followed me. And and he can look to what lies ahead and say, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. David doesn't say, maybe these things will follow me. He closes this passage with a declaration, with a certainty David had seen God's faithfulness all through his life. He knew with no doubt that whatever days lie ahead, whatever challenges he would face, whatever struggles that would be put in front of him, whatever would be before him, he knew that God would be with him, and with God, his goodness comes. With God, his mercies are new every morning. With every battle... He could know that God was there. And that the battle belonged to the Lord. Church, though we walk through the shadow of the valley of death. And should the Lord tarry, we can know that we will all one day face death. Though we walk through the shadow of death, through all kinds of trouble, through all kinds of struggle... Though we walk through this, we can do it without fear because our God, our shepherd, my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd who already conquered death. That's why we can declare just as Paul did, "O oh death, where is your sting? Because though we will face a time of death, should the Lord tarry, We can do it without fear because we know that's not the end for us. We can have comfort in knowing that we are his sheep. Church, don't wander through life aimlessly, but allow the good shepherd to be your guide. The shepherd fights for you. The shepherd defends you. The shepherd provides for you. The shepherd brings healing for you. The shepherd brings rest for you. The shepherd brings restoration for you. In his presence, there is a continuous overflowing. And in him, your cup truly runs over. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today.